0: Al Coleman, welcome to the Revamp Podcast Show. We are more than happy to have you aboard here today and eager to learn from you. Um, For those of us who don't already know uh, too much about you, can you just share with us perhaps your role and who you're working for and a little bit about your company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, My name is Kyle. I lead the growth and enablement team at Clary, and our growth and enablement team is a combination of teams that is kind of non-traditional. They're kind of sort of sales and kind of sort of marketing, but not really one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're teams that are all responsible for both creating and accelerating revenue. So it's demand generation, field marketing, sales development, and sales enablement, all under the single umbrella of growth. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this is what Clary does is Clary is a revenue operations platform that forces companies to think about revenue, not just as an outcome that happens at the end of the quarter, but Mm -hmm. as a process that can be broken down into its component parts. And each one of those component parts can be optimized. And so creating and accelerating revenue is a component of the revenue process that can and should be broken down, examined and optimized. And that's what my role is at the company.
0: So just before we get firstly, that's very interesting and very relevant, and this audience will definitely benefit from that. And I think you also have a really unique uh, skill set in scaling and and really developing a, a strong and robust SDR team from grassroots up. But before we get into that, I think for those who uh, who don't know you, we just uh, when I was doing a little bit of background research on you, uh, I came across the quirk that you're a you're a ten thousand step a day kind of guy. so it's, so how did that happen and and
1: how long has that been going on for? Ah, yes, it is a quirk. Um, it's, it's simultaneously my proudest and most shameful thing to admit because it just makes me sound so lame, but, um, I have taken over 10,000 steps a day every day for over five years straight. Mm -hmm. And it just started because I noticed I I wear a little uh, wearable and I got a little buzz one day that said I had a 20 day streak. And I was like, okay, let's see how long this can go on. And so by walking my dog and by going for runs and just doing the things that I love doing, I was just, I kept it up and then it got pretty obsessive. And I, you know, my flights from San Francisco to Dublin, you know, a 10 or 11 hour flight, that's half the day I would squeeze in a three mile run before the flight. And then I'd be walking around downtown Dublin at 10 11 PM on a Tuesday night, just to get my step count. So I've done some pretty extreme things, but I think for some reason it's important. I can't explain why, but that's it. I'm guessing you got tasered on a few flights with uh,
0: refusing to sit down when they uh, had the fasten uh, seatbelt signs. Oh, <laughs> so great. So we're speaking to the uh, the Forrest Gump of revenue operations. That's uh, that's uh, that's outstanding, and uh, really excited to dig in now to uh, to kind of your core area of expertise. So scaling your outbound engine is the topic that we're going to tackle together today. Um, let's start at the top, and and why is that an important um, issue or or area to prioritize from all of the areas of revenue growth that that sits within your, uh, your suite of expertise?
1: Yeah, I should say I'm such a believer in the SDR model because it's how I was raised. So I was the sixth employee at a company called Looker, a BI and data analytics company based in California. Um, I was a sixth employee, grew the SDR team up to about 65 people over the course of six years, as the company grew to about 800 people, and then was acquired by Google in the summer of 2019 for two and a half billion dollars. And the reason I'm such a believer in SDR is because that organization and scaling that organization early was a huge reason for our accelerated success. In the first three or so years of Looker's existence, about 65% of the revenue that we booked was outbound sourced. Hmm. So our SDR team proved that they had the capability of getting our message out to the right people at the right companies at the right time, way more so than any sort of inbound strategy really ever could on its own. Hmm. Um, so huge believer in the model. By the end of the, um, when Looker exited, had over about $100 million in revenue and roughly $40 million of that was outbound sourced. So the the ratio of inbound versus outbound leaned more toward outbound once we had more uh, brand awareness and we were selling into more enterprise companies, but still hugely impactful to have an SDR team from the onset. And we can talk a little bit more about why it's important to maintain that SDR team, especially from a revenue operations perspective, Mm -hmm. because I, I firmly believe that the SDR team is that bridge between marketing and sales and gold correctly and if the success metrics are correct they can be that connective tissue that ensures that the things that are happening in marketing matter to sales and the things that the sales team is seeing and hearing makes its way back to marketing so they can be that bridge that, that helps the flywheel across the whole rev ops or revenue organization really happen
0: so one th- Thing that I've understood from speaking to you previously, um, with regards to building that SDR model and understanding that fit between sales and marketing, is that really the stage of growth of the company helps to define how you understand the role and fit and function of the SDR team. Can you give me uh, a kind of a practical or tangible example about how that changes from from the kind of early stages onwards?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I, having started at at Looker as as early as I did, I got to experience the company at the seed level, Series A, B, C, D, and then, you know, through the acquisition. So I've seen it at every level. Um, So I'm speaking from from that experience. And what I found is that in a company's early existence called the seed funding or Series A funding, they're still trying to figure out product market fit. You know, you have a hypothesis about who the right companies are, who the right people are, but you don't really know. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, what the SDR team can do, as I alluded to earlier, is get in front of as many people as possible in an accelerated way. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, the success criteria for SDRs at an early stage company should be meetings completed. We want to get in front of as many people as we can. And like literally, Gideon, our qualification criteria when we were a 50 person company at Looker was does that person have a real company? And do, do they, they have a,
0: a <laughs> do they have a heartbeat? I was going to guess that that was what you were going to
1: say. <laughs> because there was no such thing as wasting a salesperson's time. Every single conversation we had allowed us to learn more about our ICP and allowed us to learn more about our product market fit, um, yeah. about how our messaging was being received, how we were differentiating in a really crowded business intelligence market. And so, It was really important for the SDR team to just play the volume game and get in front of as many people as possible. Once we figured out our ICP, once we figured out our sales motion a little bit better, once our revenue team was a little bit more firmly set, we had a real demand gen presence, all of that, Mm -hmm. we tightened up on the qualification criteria for SDRs. And it became far more about qualified opportunities that will turn into real pipeline for the sales team. And so as you mature, you know, series B, series C around that stage, that's when I think it makes the most sense to start expecting your SDRs to provide more in the way of quality and Mm -hmm. specifically compensating them on not the meetings they're booking and not the opportunities they're creating, but which of those opportunities are actually qualified by the sales team that are turning into real, uh, that turns into real pipeline, that turns into Mm -hmm. real revenue for the company. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that I really like this is because, as I mentioned before, it connects marketing, SDR, sales, and the entire rest of the revenue organization, because marketing can't just create leads and then be on their merry way. And SDR can't just create meetings and think that their job is done. The marketing team needs to care about which of their leads turn into meetings, turn into opportunities, turn into pipeline. And so now we have marketing leaders speaking the language that sales leaders care about, and that is the connection across the entire pre-sales organization that builds trust with one another that ensures everybody is speaking the same language Mm -hmm. and that then uh, really creates this revenue as a process, because we're thinking about the pipeline we're creating this quarter that feeds next quarter's revenue targets. And so there's a lot of predictability that's that's baked in there. So I said a lot of things just then I will pause now for a response.
0: No, it's great. It's great. And uh, actually, I had the privilege from a marketing perspective to to listen to uh, an expert demand gen professional not too long ago, about six months ago, who said that she would actively sit in the SDR calls to validate the message fit between lead type versus uh, the messaging execution for the SDR to see that there was that kind of one-to-one ratio in terms of fit, and then use that to really learn as to what was going on for the potential, uh, the potential ICP, the potential ideal customer, exactly. um, and that accelerated the learning or growth curve beyond what could be achieved through standard inbound tactics.
1: Right, and, and execution. And the way- A really interesting way that we have it set up again with this unique sort of setup we have at Clary is that Mm -hmm. our our growth team is responsible for the entire pipeline-created number, sales-qualified pipeline-created number, because we have our demand gen and field marketing team that are helping with the marketing-generated pipeline, of course. We have our SDR team that's responsible for SDR source pipeline. And then Mm -hmm. we have our enablement team who we charge with carrying the number for sales-sourced pipeline because they're creating the programs, they're creating the enablement, they're managing the tools that the sales team is using to prospect, to create pipeline. And so we have it all consolidated into a single group. So there's no finger pointing about where pipeline is coming from and said, everybody just fights with me, so.
0: Cool. (laughs) <laughs> you got thick skin. So I'm guessing there must be some data points um that inform some of that strategy. I know that uh that you're strong into that kind of data in informing the decision making as as a leader, but do you have some of them to hand?
1: Yeah, for sure. So there was a recent survey done by Revenue Collective. Um, they surveyed something like two or 300 sales, marketing, and SDR leaders and, and did a little bit of a state of sales development survey. And some really interesting data points came out of it. The entire survey is available uh, to anybody who, who Googles it. So state of development, state of sales development, Revenue Collective. And the main kind of headline was that in 2019, 83% of SDR teams missed their quotas. 83%. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a broken model. And it's indicative of an older school way of thinking about SDR. That's all about quantity. It's all about output. How many calls can they make? How many emails can they send? And there's supposedly this formulaic approach to SDR that will equal success. Mm. And it's just not true anymore. It may have been true 10 years ago, but the rise of marketing automation systems like Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, etc., the rise of sales acceleration and automation systems like sales loft and outreach and you name them. It's just caused an an enormous inundation of email, phone, social, all these touches Uh are just commoditized at this point. And so expecting more output from SDRs to yield more results now is not practical. It's not reasonable. However, most SDR comp plans are still in that model. They're still uh, being measured on how many calls are they making? How many meetings are they setting? And that is the only real indicator of success. I believe that an evolution of this model is necessary to be less about quantity and more about quality. So account-based marketing, account-based selling, how many of our key accounts, ICP fit, whale accounts that we're chasing, what percent of those are we penetrating? How much pipeline are we producing from those accounts? what's not our email response rate, what's our account penetration rate based on the suite of outreach that we're doing to that account with the ABM tactics that marketing is running, with the personalized outreach that SDRs and salespeople are doing, with the deal acceleration type tactics that our execs Mm -hmm. and our board is contributing to. It's all connected now. And so putting your SDRs in a silo by saying, just go make your phone calls is not good enough anymore. And it's causing SDRs to miss quota. It's causing them to leave companies. I think something like uh, 40% of SDRs are only in their seat for for under 12 months, which is crazy. There's so much attrition. It's so expensive to bring on more people. And a lot of it is just due to their success metrics not being right.
0: To be honest, that 12-month statistic is just your team. Everybody else is doing 10 years per seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's the rumor. No, I, I like to I like to joke with you here. But um the serious question that I did have for you, and I do have one serious question for you, is re- with regardless of the evolution of the metrics when we talk about the move to ABM and and all of those things, do you are you able to now drill down and look at quality of touch points as a as a KPI for SDR success? Or what do I mean by that? So for example, I've got my defined list of targets. I made 10 reciprocated touch points with account A, B, C, and D. So what would that be? It would be maybe open rate of emails or click through from an email or response on LinkedIn or something which indicates that the person didn't only receive, but they <laughs> they recognized the communication and responded to it. Is there any kind of qualitative drill down now? Because we know... I know in, in our inbound model, it takes at least 12 touch points to convert. And uh, and I know in, in marketing, from an inbound marketing, usually it takes around 12 to 14 touch points for somebody to to really engage in a meaningful way. So I'm, I'm sure there'll be ballpark metrics. Is that something that you're able to track, those, those kind of qualitative scores?
1: It is, it is on both sides. So our marketing team is tracking uh, when they're doing their outreach, when they've designed these account based marketing programs, of the emails that we're sending, what percent are opened. Mm-hmm. And then of the percent opened, what percent are clicking through to content? So open rate right. and click through to content are the two that matter most from a marketing perspective. Right. From an SDR perspective, it's about of the personalized emails that we're writing, and we have expectations about how many personalized emails every SDR is writing every week, mm-hmm. 1% are replied to, and how okay. many meetings are you booking? And all of those, those four kind of key stats across marketing and SDR are really to serve the one stat that matters most, which is account penetration of the accounts that we have identified as our ABM accounts, as the accounts that we care most about, what percent are we actually penetrating? And by penetration, I mean, are we having sales meetings with? And so the the first four metrics of open and click through and then response and meeting are leading indicators for how much pipeline we're going to be sourcing from our ABM efforts. So all of that is, is really closely tracked and at the individual level, at the team level.
0: So given that evolution of the role, has that changed the type of SDR that you look to hire? For example, it might have been, I want a really verbal X amount of years ago, I might want a really kind of extrovert, social, talks nonstop, going to you (laughs) pound it on the phones all day long kind of person. And if now they're being measured on their personalized email as one of the metrics, it might be that you need an introvert or somebody that majored in creative writing or somebody who's a research writer or somebody who has that kind of, ma- yeah, they might have a maverick skill set that may not have been con- considered before. Has that changed your mindset and who you're looking for? Do you, do you measure that in the interview process?
1: Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Gideon, is that it, it was kind of the other way around for me because I was building an SDR team in Santa Cruz, California, which is a strange town. It's the <laughs> surf capital of the US. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's just a weird town. It doesn't have traditional talent. It's separated from the rest of Silicon Valley by an enormous hill, Uh, So people don't really want to ever make that commute. And so what that meant for me was that I had to hire SDRs in a non-traditional way. I could not just take the tack that every other sales leader or marketing leader at the time was saying, which is they need to have X number of years of sales experience. They need to come from XYZ university, whatever it was. I couldn't do any of that. So I had to look for people that were, uh, that had diverse backgrounds. And we ended up hiring exactly what you said uh, English majors, philosophy majors, used car salesmen, former radio broadcasters, people that worked in bookstores, like uh, you name it, we we hired them. And what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to see that every single person had a different Perspective had a different area of expertise, Management. and what we needed to do from a managerial perspective and to scale the team is we needed to understand what are those unique characteristics that this radio broadcaster is bringing to the role, and how can they inform our process? what do they do uniquely well and better than anybody else on the team, and how can they train the rest of the team to incorporate that into their own style hmm. and so that 's what we ended up doing, and that that made me a believer in exactly what you just outlined, which is that there's no checkbox on a resume that's ever going to exactly predict success in the role. It's way more about mindset. If you find people that are curious, that are tenacious, that are strategic, those are the things that you really need to look for. And of course vetting that in the interview process is difficult, but not impossible. And it's way more useful than just saying, okay, they have five years of sales experience. They're going to be my person. Um, That's just not a a winning formula these days.
0: Very good. So, So you definitely hinted on it, but how do you see the evolution um, of strategy to the changing world and norms happening right now? I mean, this year alone, we've gone through something quite significant. So there's the evolution of the role organically anyway, and then there's the kind of hyper acceleration of everything that's going on right now. It must be different to do outbound during a pandemic. (laughs) Fair (laughs) comment. Fair comment. (laughs) That's the insight
1: <laughs> of it that the listeners are waiting for. Yes, it, it's very different. Um, you know, we, we relied heavily on direct mail uh, before the pandemic. We, you know, This is a way to break through the noise, to, to show people that you care, to send them a personalized gift. And mm-hmm. that's, that's out the window now. So we've had to be really creative about how to weave that level of personalization back into to what we're doing. But mm-hmm. brought more broadly, the change towards strategy And strategic thinking, I should say, from an SDR and an account exec perspective, it couldn't be more important right now. Because right now, to be successful, you'll see and hear everybody say, oh, empathy, empathy, empathy. And that's fine, but it's only half the battle. You need to empathize with the growth initiatives or the key initiatives of the company. You need to do the research to understand what do companies care about right now? How do they make money? What is going to keep them afloat? What are they worried about? And then you need to figure out how to segue from those initiatives into your company's value prop. And -hmm. if you can do those things, if you can do the research and you can find the right way to creatively segue into why you provide value to them, Mm -hmm. that's what outbounding is now. And Mm -hmm. pandemic or not, you know, after this, hopefully, is all behind us, that's not going to change. Effective SDRs need to be able to read through uh, 10K or do the research on private companies, understand business models have that level of business acumen so that they can actually speak to the value that their product or their platform provides and not just get away with the high level feature function platitudes that uh, used to capture people's interest.
0: Right. And one thing that I've played within my mind for a while there is that, you know, as we look back at the data from the 2008 uh, econo- economic downturn, the crash that happened back then, the companies who doubled down on brand- content and branding were the ones that came out significantly ahead uh, after the upturn, it's hard from an SDR point of view to be measured on the contribution that, I'm, that I've am that i made to our brand being thought about in a more positive light, you know, Clary being thought about because it gave so much more value because this person didn't try to sell to me when I couldn't buy, for example, but gave, you know, helped me to double down on getting value for me personally, whether it's introducing, introducing you to my network um, so that you can benefit from them or, or whatever is most appropriate it's really hard to, I guess, <clears throat> prioritize that because you've got to still meet present financial, you know, targets for your financial quarter, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a caveat for that anywhere in the playbook or is that just kind of a, an invisible benefit of having good people in your team?
1: It's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's, it's hard to ever suspend quotas. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to do that and still maintain the confidence in the board. So yeah. you have to find ways to adjust, um, to, to allow people to find success and, and what I mean by that is uh, one of the ways that we've adjusted is we used to have uh, seniority, and we still do, but we used to have higher levels of seniority required to justify an SDR handing over an opportunity to an account executive. So um, if you're prospecting into what we call a commercial account, which is an account up to a thousand employees, we mm-hmm. used to say that person needs to be director level or above. Uh, otherwise, you know, continue to do your discovery at the SDR level and then hand them over. but we don't want, we want our AEs to still get at bats right now in this current environment. And so we needed to go back to the drawing board and, and revise our qualification criteria to say, the conversations that our AEs have, the demos that we give, we need to cast a wider net right now. And so we didn't make a huge change. We just said, instead of director level, we're just gonna bump that down to a manager level. And we're gonna try and get our AEs in front of more people. And so that's a way that we made the SDR job slightly easier because they can cast a little bit wider net, they can give their AEs more at that. they can AEs still feel fed, they still can qualify those early stage opportunities. Um, we, we just changed a little bit to see how it goes. And okay. so far, so good, we haven't seen, uh, and so this may be a sustained change in the future because opportunities that are starting at the manager level are moving Uh, down the funnel at the exact same rate as managers at sort of higher seniority levels so we're always learning we're always evolving and this pandemic protocol has been a forcing function to be learning really quickly
0: right so that's your immediate learning as you look back on the uh on the span of of your evolution to where you are now is there any significant learning curves uh or revelations that really stand out in your career that you know, it was a real uh, revelation to you when you figured such and such out.
1: It is, and I, I run the risk of um, maybe telling people something they already know, but it's important to hear it reiterated. I, especially during this, this pandemic, I already pretty firmly believed in, in this, what I'm about to say, this framework, but this pandemic has, has really solidified this in my brain, which is that mm-hmm. leadership's role is to cascade what needs to happen and why it needs to happen from a company or department strategy standpoint. Here's what we're trying to make happen. And here's why it matters. And here's the context that you need at the individual contributor level to understand your contribution, to buy into the mission. Mm -hmm. And then how that happens day to day, how you make it happen, that comes from the bottom up. Leadership can give a framework for here's you know a suggestion for how you do things, but the people actually doing the work are the ones that need to be the ones that figure out how to do it, that make the changes, that do the little tweaks that evolve the process, and they need to cascade that back up to say, here's what we did and why. Here's what worked, and importantly, here's what didn't work. And then leaders need to take that into account and use that in this kind of continuous cycle to... Ensure that they always have the trust of the people that they're working with, and to be open to that level of feedback, that level of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best the best work that's been done over the course of the last three months, as uh, COVID has set in, has been people just innovating themselves and. You know it's nice that our managerial team gives that leeway and that that room for that level of autonomy and that level of innovation, but man, as soon as I realized that pretty early in my my management career, it changed everything because when I started managing, I thought that creating a team of mini mes that did things exactly how I did things was mm-hmm. going to be the best path forward because of course, I did things the best possible way, mm-hmm. and it just it did not work um, so Anyway, probably nothing super revelatory for some more seasoned managers out there, but it was a huge light bulb moment for me.
0: Fantastic. Cal, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here on the uh, the Rev-M podcast show. We look forward to your continued success. And uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Gideon. Appreciate it.